Hello there. Uh, let me start today's podcast by asking you a very simple question. Um, Peter Rubens, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Hercule Poirot, what do all of these people have in common? Well, they're all um, outstanding gentlemen. They are um, experts in their field and uh, are very special human beings. Uh, but more importantly, they're all uh, originally from Belgium, uh, rather like my next guest today, uh, Mr. Antoine Marc, who is uh, a repeat, uh, you may remember, guest on Campcast. So uh, obviously great pleasure to welcome back um, Antoine for the second time. We talk about all manner of topic today, everything from comedy, that's to say the differences between British and American comedy in particular, um, about um, matters linguistic, and um, also we, we get into the weeds a little bit talking about the, uh, the great and unending uh, debate over native speakerism. So hope you enjoy that and uh, without further ado, here's the show. What have you done? You've muted yourself. <laughs> Antoine, come back. Come I'm back. back. Oh, there we go. Yes. Is it better? That is. Yeah, that's much better. Okay. I don't know how you do it. All right. All right. Enough of this audio fiddling around. Uh, let's get started. Three, two, one. And I am joined today on the show by um, fellow pedagogue and college shirt enthusiast, Antoine. Hello. Hey, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I've uh, I've also gone for the um, slightly aggressive um, one. No, no, two buttons undone. I can see which you've gone as well. Very, very continental of you. Now we're post Brexit. I think I should have it buttoned up like this, so I look like a true <laughs> <laughs> English gentleman. It but, is. Uh, it is way too hot. Way too hot to button that what, shirt. What have off. you got? Because I I did a podcast the other day with Julia, and um, it was like thirty something degrees. We've got yeah. twenty eight degrees at the moment in England um it's pretty i don't know what it is exactly but yeah it's it's around 30, 30 says 29 yeah okay so we are uh on the same uh wavelength temperature exactly lovely exactly. well we've got some pretty um some pretty hefty thunderstorms coming tomorrow so that'll be fun i love i love a good thunderstorm a good electrical storm when you're just inside reading a book or watching TV or whatever you do. Yeah, that's key. Mind. When you're inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not so much outside. Um, have you ever got caught short and been in the middle of a big field when it's a thunderstorm? Uh, actually, quite, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we complain about our thunderstorms, but I did a short spell in Cambodia and uh, I got caught. I was on a bike and I was getting caught in September, so it's the rainy season, the start of the rainy season, apparently. Not an expert on, on that area of the world, but when I was there, that's what I was told. And mm -hmm. at one point, uh, just a thunderstorm was coming. But do you remember, did you watch that unfortunate movie, Independence Day? Unfortunate? What was in Will Smith? And, <laughs> and who else was in it? I can't remember now. Yes, yeah, I've watched it. It's a good, it's a good yeah. film. How dare you smirch the reputation of that movie? <laughs> do, you, do you remember when the the, the, the the airships are coming down on Earth and you just see this cloud of smoke, cloud of 
just a wall of cloud infestation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what <laughs> it looked look like. like I was on my bike like an idiot, and it just looked like just a, a huge, huge wall of cloud just advancing menacingly towards me. Mm. Uh, that was the worst I got caught under. Scary, scary. Yeah, I, you know, I've been in some fairly open places when there's a thunderstorm coming. Do you know the best place, the safest place you can be if you're caught out in the outdoors? A lot of people instinctively go under a tree. That's a really bad thing to do because if it hits the tree, then all of the sap inside the tree like um, turns into lava and shoots out and you know, mm -hmm. the tree can catch on fire, all sorts of shit. Um, the safest place you can be in your car. In your car? Yeah, because um, a lot of people, do, you, you can zap a car with thousands of volts of electricity and you'll be perfectly safe inside because the car is made of metal, don't forget. And yes, that attracts electricity, but it also acts as a Faraday cage mm -hmm. and it distributes the charge evenly, leaving you perfectly safe inside. I wouldn't try it, but, you know, if you are um, forced to do so. So that's the main thing I want people to take away from this ESL podcast <laughs> is lightning safety. <laughs> is it true that the, what's the French word for a bolt of lightning? I heard that it was éclair. As in the, as yeah. in the, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. I, Cause I thought maybe someone was making that up, but it's like a, um, the, as in the dessert. Yeah. Like it's like a bun. I with don't a, know if it's connected, but it should be. I can't do It's exactly the same word. But an éclair as well. I think it, it, doesn't it mean like a, a sudden idea a realization? Cause you yeah, can say that in English. I was hit by a thunderbolt. Yeah. Yeah. Éclair. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Anyway, um, when we were um, going back and forth about, you know, talking about what you wanted to discuss on the show today, um, you said, uh, rather uncharacteristically for you, you said, um, I don't want to do pedagogical stuff. I've done so much of that. Let's do something cultural. And we, and we, we got onto the topic of humor and yeah. that comedy. So, Run, run me through your logic there. Why, why did you think that comedy would be a good, a good topic for us to discuss? Well, first of all, everybody loves a good laugh, right? I'm pretty sure we've, 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 we haven't done that many podcasts together, but enough to know that we both enjoy a good laugh. We do. We do. It, it's a good thing to, 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 to have in lessons. And uh, I'm not English, but I am a big, big fan of, you know, British comedy. Uh, you are English, so I thought it would be it would be quite fun to talk. We've never talked really comedy in all those brilliant TV shows. Uh, mm. uh, you've got you've got a huge, huge history of brilliant comedy in your culture. We could talk about music as well. That would be for our next podcast. You know, all the the, the, the <laughs> great sure. already planning ahead. Your like island, it. I like uh, it. But yeah, for for I, I don't know. That's something that often comes up. I really enjoy a good laugh, so I'll often watch a TV show. And for students, I find it's a great way to give them a bit of extra practice. If you can get students hooked on a TV show, it's going to be regular practice. It's not like a movie that they'll watch once, uh, which will give them some good vocabulary, something like that. But a TV show is something that they'll get into. If they get hooked into a TV show, something that's going they're going to watch on a regular basis for a while. And uh, it's great extra practice outside of the classroom. 
Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful, though, because some of the best TV shows are like, um, you know, like Game of Thrones and stuff like that, Breaking Bad. So you don't want to send your, like, you know, teenage kids to go and watch that, like, and then your parents are like, why is my son learning about methamphetamine vocabulary? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, and I, I agree with everything you're saying, but the, the small sort of little red flag that I would wave would be this. Don't you think that there can sometimes be a danger, when, and I fully hold my hands up in this regard and, and, and point to, my, to myself, don't you think there's sometimes a danger? Some teachers um, often play the role of entertainer, of comedian, of, um, you know, sparking students' interest and making everyone laugh and all of that stuff, which is fine, but then at the same time don't really deliver any um anything of, of value of pedagogical or, or of intellectual value and i've definitely i've definitely done that i i'm conscious of it and i try to to find the right balance but if i'm brutally honest with myself i think that i tip further on the scale of, of heavier on the side of entertainer sometimes and i try not to do it but sometimes it's unavoidable because i just love having like you say i, I love a laugh of well i love having a laugh with my students um, in my defense, I have a speaking club, not a, not a, you know. It's uh, different. Yeah, it's different. It is different. And, and you could argue that, you know, that that's a perfectly legitimate way of getting. And I do try and obviously, you know, teach something every now and again. But um, do you see what I mean, though? Do you, do you think that oh, some teachers oh, can oh. over rely on comedy? Totally. Well, there, there, there is there is a. Uh, there's a lot of talk. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in recent years as well in, in uh, at international conferences about the fact that, yes, a lot of teachers have felt how unfair it is in our industry that usually a, a native speaker will have an easier job, will get students. Uh, it will be easier for him or her to get students and it is easier for him or her to rely on that entertainment factor on that cultural factor because hey i got loads of stories to tell and i come from a different culture so they're interesting and and it, it makes it easier but i honestly think that's something that, that touches all professions it, it's really the 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 good old you know battle between content and performance and I think both are equally important. Uh, I agree with you. If, if, if you as a teacher start seeing yourself as an entertainer, then it's a good sign. You might want to do a bit of CPD at the moment. Maybe mm. you're, you're stuck in a rut. You're doing the same thing, the same books. Uh, there's, you, need, you need something to stimulate you intellectually and to kind of find a new strategy, a new approach. Maybe that's why you're sticking more and more to the entertainment factor. Mm. At the same time, if you're too heavy on content, and you know, we've all had teachers like that, that, that weren't engaging because yeah. we didn't pay attention to the performance aspect of uh, the, prof the profession as well. It's about finding the right balance. And if anyone yeah. needs help finding the right balance, then there's some excellent CPD available on the resource education page, which I will link to in the description. Um, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. So, so international conference people would say that, wouldn't they? So some of this native speakerism stuff goes a little bit too far. It's a little bit silly. Like native speakers have an easier job delivering content in their own language. 
Really? You think so? Like, of course they do. What, what is this? It's, um, yeah, the, the, um, the sort of the, uh, the plague of wokeness is uh, even encroaching on our noble shores in the ESL world. Don't get well, me wrong. I'm, I'm not one of these people who, um, you know, denigrates the native speakerism argument in its entirety. No, I think, again, you, you, you just the right words. You said it's about striking a balance. I, mm. I honestly believe, like, that's the way I lead my life. I do not see things as black or white anymore. There are very few things in life that we can deal in uh, 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 just in extremes like that, black or white. I see the point of the talk about native speakerism, um, but I think a lot of the experts that talk about it are fooling themselves a little bit because the problem with native speakerism to me doesn't come from, mostly doesn't come from teachers ourselves. It comes from the fact that the students, the clients often think that, and it, it does make sense in a certain logic that a native speaker will be better for them to study the language. But they, they, it's important for us as, as uh, an industry <clears throat> to carry out the message to those students that what you need first and foremost is a teacher. Absolutely. A professional yeah. teacher that is not a native speaker will do a better, better, better job than a native speaker who is not 100%. a teacher. 100%. Um, that's it, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I agree, I agree. I agree completely. Um, and that, that's really where, I think that's where the conversation should end. That's all I'm saying. And, um, exactly. The, the problem with, um, so if you look at certain industries, like for example, ESL World in China, um, it's often claimed that China has a really bad native speakerism problem. I think it's more, I think it's a bit more um, surface level and a bit more grotesque than that. China has a racism problem. A lot of the time, they're not recruiting native speakers. They're not recruiting people who are native English speakers, native Brits, native Americans. They want white people. Oh, that's what they're after, and that's a big. That's a big. Um, well, I, I think it's a problem. Maybe the Chinese disagree, but the, it, there's this kind of like exoticness. This kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Authority that or. Um, you know, elevated status that a white person has in China. Um, and it, it, it's a real shame. Like, you know, if you, you go to like Thailand or China, you can see it on billboards, like the special like cream to make your skin whiter. People have, in Korea, people get plastic surgery to make themselves look more Western. It's crazy, really crazy. And it's such a shame. Um, and um, it, so in China, for example, there's a lot of Russian people who go to China to find pedagogues and fine teachers and very experienced professionals, no doubt. But a lot of the time, the Chinese like lap up those teachers because they're white. And I, I know what I'm saying has some merit because you try and get a job in a Chinese school as a black guy. So let's say that you're a black um, native speaker from, from London who speaks the Queen's English or whatever, see how successful you are in comparison to, I don't know, a German white guy getting a job oh. in the same school. See what happens. Um, yeah, oh, there's, there's, there's a big problem with that problem. stuff in China. Big problem. Um, I, well. That, that, that is definitely a problem. That's a big problem. Um, that is that is not something I think native speakerism though is is well when I hear talks about it at conferences 
I don't have the impression that this talk about native speakerism is uh, uh, aimed at solving that issue that you just mentioned. What bothers me about the talk about native speakerism is when they start um, basically being ashamed of being uh, native speakers. I, I heard more than one expert talking about native speakerism saying that, oh, I stopped, I understood that my students had something interesting to say and I stopped correcting their mistakes to focus on what they had to say. When I hear that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're a horrible human being. It's, <laughs> how long did it take you to understand that your students had something interesting to say? What, what, what are you even, what does that even mean? And you stop correcting their mistakes to focus on what they have to say. I'm sorry, but if you can't both uh, 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 focus while your students are speaking, if you can't focus on what they're saying and at the same time, the language that they're using, maybe you're not a good teacher, you know? Because well, that, I think it's the basis of uh, a language teacher needs to be able to do both. To, to focus, there, there's helping the student express themselves with better language, and there's consolidating the confidence of the student that, hey, what you're saying is worthy of attention. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't want my Russian teacher corrects my mistakes, of course. I wouldn't want a Russian teacher who is there just listening to what I have to say and going, Antoine, I validate your opinions. Antoine, what you say is worthy, is, is, is worth listening it's, to. It's, it's, even, it's even worse than that. It's what you're saying is worth listening to. And it's as grammatically or as linguistically valid as what I say as a native speaker. Imagine if your Russian teacher did that. And this, so th I brought this up on a podcast with, um, with Hugh Della. Uh -huh. And, but, you know, I'm, I, I, I love Hugh, he's, he's great, um, but I, I think sometimes he, he is a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he's on, on this side of the argument that um, a lot of the time pe people say, like, um, it, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, critical theory applied to, it's critical language theory, it's this... Um, slightly pomo postmodern that is pomo attitude to language that there's no right answer and that's actually true there is no one right way of speaking english there's different dialects and different accents and if you go to um, south africa or india or pakistan or northern ireland or belize everyone will have different ways of speaking yeah that's true there are different there are lots of different right ways and if you say there is no one right way. That's not the same as saying there are no wrong ways because there are wrong exactly. ways. That's the thing. And I means I, you means you. If, if I start speaking English uh, by, by changing that, I'm just completely breaking the code. H how can we have com communication if, if I swap I, to me now, I means you and you means I. You're never gonna understand what I'm talking about. It's just, there are different right ways of speaking, yes, but that doesn't mean that we need to pretend that mm -hmm. there are no mistakes. And here's the controversial bit. Some of those right ways are better than others, or at least are more desirable in certain situations than others. Certain now, that, that should be an uncontroversial thing to say, but it's not. And teachers like these who, who subscribe to these kind of POMO ideas 
they sometimes they can tie themselves up in ideological knots. They just they're paralyzed and they they don't know. So I, I for example, I brought this up to to Hugh, and to be, I'm not referring to Hugh here. I'm just saying I I talked about this topic with Hugh, um, and so he mentioned um, that Russian teachers, as in people who are Russian who are teachers of English, um, are sticklers for pronunciation. Now that that's that's true. Um, and very often that, and so Hughes, I'm paraphrasing him here, but he said like um, some teachers, they'll, they'll torture themselves and try and make themselves sound as close to a native speaker as possible. And they've got this weird preconception that if you have a strong Russian accent, you're not as competent of a speaker. And I'm like, well, I would agree with them. I, <laughs> I think if I'm, if I'm speaking Russian, right? Or if you're speaking fr or Russian or if I'm speaking French or whatever, it, and this is the example I gave to him. I said, if, if a Russian, a native Russian speaker says to me, you sound like a Russian, or if someone mistakes me for a Russian, if someone thinks that I'm Russian by mistake, that is the highest compliment you could possibly give me. And I said, would you agree with that? And he, he, didn't, he had no answer. He didn't know what to say. Um, I, I think it's because they're obsessed with English. They're, they're focusing too much on English as the kind of... Uh, uh, you know the the imperial um, the 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 imperial language that is taking over the world, which is a different debate. I, I can see where we can talk about that on a political level, cultural level, but I'm an English teacher. I'm a language teacher trying to help my students communicate as effectively and as efficiently as they can, and I, I agree with you on that point. I, I would I would differentiate. I think what what he was talking about, I would differentiate accents and pronunciation. Sure. My, my, my goal with my students is not to make them like cancel their identity by not sounding Russian at all anymore. But if, if their Russian accent is so strong that you misunderstand what they're saying, then we need to correct that, of course. We, we you the goal of communication is so that people understand you it's not that mm -hmm. you can express yourself any way you like communication is about the other so think about the other sure. person sure and to to, to quote Ira Lutsenko when I was talking about this with her um you have the right to want whatever you want if you want to speak with a Russian accent go ahead I'm just saying I've never met a person who wants that for for most people and I think this this should be uncontroversial this should just you should just be able to say this and not have to explain yourself. To speak with the same type of pronunciation that a native speaker has should be synonymous with competency. For me to, and this is what drives me crazy. This only happens in the English language. Have you realized this? It only happens in the ESL world. There's no equivalent movement in the, the, um, the French as a second language world, or the, as far as I know, or the Chinese language world, or the Russian language, <laughs> certainly not in the Russian language learning world. You try and you try and speak Russian with an English accent, and they'll laugh you out of the room, and rightly so, rightly so. Um, I, I don't see why. It should, and again, I think it's tied up with this this notion, this kind of postmodern notion that um, oh, there's no such thing as as correctness. There's no right answers. There's you know, it's all power. It's all class. It's all oppression. Uh, don't think so. Don't think so. There there is such a thing as competency. There is such a thing as um, some some forms of language being more desirable than others, and you know, because I, I, again, I said like to Hugh, 
do you teach pronunciation? And he said, sure. Okay. What, what do you mean by, what do you mean by teach pronunciation? If everything is correct. And there's, and again, Hugh didn't say this is not his argument. I'm just referring to the conversation that mm -hmm. I had with him. I want to be clear. I'm not sort of accusing Hugh of being this, um, you know, um, straw man that I'm making here, but, um, you know, I said, well, if some forms of pronunciation are the same, if all forms of pronunciation are identically valid, why teach pronunciation? If you don't have hierarchy, if you don't have a system of value, you can't teach, you're paralyzed, right? Agreed. Yeah. But there we go. Um, so we, we started talking about comedy, got onto this quite philosophical. We didn't, we didn't really even start talking about comedy, honestly. <laughs> okay, let's start right now. Ready? Okay. Um, the French, <laughs> for all of their sins. Um, so, sorry, again? The French, people ooh. from France. Ooh. Um, so straight away, you know what I'm going to say here, don't you? Um, in, in Britain, when we joke, very often we joke about Irishmen. We say... An Englishman, an Irishman, and a Welshman go into a bar, or a Scotsman, or whatever. Uh, and then the, the butt of the joke is always the Irishman. He's the stupid person in the joke. The Russians, they've got the chukchas, because they, they make some joke about, our oh, stupid chukchas. The French, as far as I know, I might be wrong about this, they joke about uh, les Belges, about the Belgians. Of course, of course. They've got us, the Belgians, in the north. A little... A little farmland as uh, as they see it uh, um, now it, it has changed you have different currents uh, uh, in the 70s 80s 90s they would openly yeah there were there were so many jokes uh, the Belgians are <clears throat> the stupid ones you know mm -hmm. the Swiss are the slow ones there's a great expression uh, uh, from Switzerland uh, come on the lake's not on fire <laughs> It's kind of a universal expression for them to say that no need to hurry up, everything's fine. So the Swiss are the slow ones, the Belgians are the stupid ones. Although, you know, we were talking about that, the, uh, the, the 21st century woke kind of things, you know, the, the, the culture of never saying bad things about other people has caught on to even this. So officially, the Belgians are not stupid anymore in France, they're nice. But oh. you notice with that intonation, oh, I love the Belgians. They're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> and is there any... It's so mean. <laughs> is, is there any sort of differentiation between um, French-speaking Belgium and, and the, um, the Flemish part of Belgium or the, or the Dutch-speaking part? Or No, no, no. You know, to the French, I mean, France is the centre of the world and Paris is the centre of France. Uh, what, what am I saying? The world. The universe, you know? So... Uh, <laughs> The French don't really see Belgium as, uh, for what it is, uh, a country with different languages. They just see it as a mini France. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the jokes about the Belgians are mainly for the French-speaking Belgians, the Wallons. Uh, and uh, in, in all fairness, I mean, we do deserve the jokes. Why is that? Good. Well, what, what's an example? Have you got one off the top of your head? Uh, a, a French joke about the Belgians? Yeah. Um, you know what? There's there's a tr uh, there's a French truck roaming through. Uh, um, no, Wait. Belgian truck driver arrives at uh, uh, a bridge. There's 
a truck stopped right in front of the bridge. The Belgian truck driver goes out, goes to talk with the, the other truck driver and truck driver's looking at the, you know, height limits going two meters. Oh, damn, no, my, my truck's two meters and, and a half. Belgian truck driver looks around and goes, dude, don't worry, there are no cops. Just go for it. <laughs> Very good. I always remember one that my, um, my French language assistant told me at, at school said um and this is great because it works in french obviously in english and in russian you'll see why um even if you know the joke play along um why do the belgians go to the toilet with bread to feed the toilet duck <laughs> i love that because you've got you've got toilet duck which makes sense in english that uh say i think in french yeah, yeah? and then uh, I think no, Utka. I don't. Whatever it is, um, I can't remember. Is it duckling in Russian? It's been so long since I cleaned a Russian toilet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love that one. I love that one. Um, it's, let me, it's, okay. it's not mean. It's it's. Well, I think do? a lot of the time, um, being able to laugh at yourself is 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 a hugely important. Um, aspect of, of comedy let, let me give you okay i'll give you a um an englishman irishman a Scots, scotsman joke um so it's um it's the second world war right and um there's a german prisoner of war camp and three british soldiers escape from the camp if when i say british i mean including ireland although i shouldn't say that british and irish soldiers escape from the camp um so they're, they're running away. The Germans, meanwhile, they realize the prisoners have escaped. They raise the alarm, Achtung, Achtung, and ring the bell, you know, etc. These guys are running across a field in occupied France, and they find an old abandoned farmhouse. In the farmhouse, or next to the farmhouse, there's an old abandoned barn. So they go into the barn. Inside the barn, there are three empty sacks, okay? They each climb into the sack and hide from the approaching German troops. The Germans reach the barn, they bust in, and there's the three sacks on the ground. So that they, with their bayonets attached to their rifle, they poke the first sack to see if there's anyone in there. Now in the first sack, the Englishman's hiding, and he goes, woof, woof. And they go, ah, that's his stein dog. And they move on to the second sack. In the second sack, here the Scotsman's hiding. So they poke the second sack with their bayonet in the same way. And the Scotsman goes, meow. And they go, ah, that's his stein cat. Move on, move on. In the third sack, the Irishman's hiding. They poke it with the bayonets and the Irishman goes, potatoes, potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that joke because it's, um, and that's a lovely joke to tell in class if anyone asks you about English jokes because it's, it's an easy to understand joke. Even if you miss a couple of words here and there, you need to make sure that they know the word sack and that they understand that it's three escaped prisoners. But apart from that, it's really easy joke to understand. On, on that topic, I'm sure at some point, some Russian person must have shown you on their smartphone that it's a joke from a, um, from a British um, comedy show that Russians adore. They, just, they are obsessed with this joke. They love it, love it, love it, love it. And it's not really, it's not a show that I'd seen before. It's the scene in some Scottish show where there's two Scottish guys getting into a voice-activated lift. Have you seen this before? Yeah. 11. So, 
Again, I'd never seen this on British TV. Only Russian people have shown this to me. And they get into the lift. And the, for anyone who hasn't seen it, who's listening, it's the, the gag is that it's two Scottish people uh, in an office building in England. And the lift is voice activated. So you have to say like floor 11. Or whatever. And so 11 for a Scottish person, um, it sounds very different to how an English person would say it. And they say, I love them. And they, they keep trying to, um, to activate the lift. And eventually, it, you know, they, they get really angry and they start shouting freedom and all of that. Now, that, that's a joke, which you could watch that having a zero English almost. Yeah. You, you have to know numbers and you have to understand that the dynamic between Scottish and English English um which anyone who's watched braveheart does and and that's that's again that's that that's part of the gag the the guys shouting freedom yeah, so that, yeah, you know, yeah. anyone without pretty much with no english would understand that joke and this that's an interesting phenomenon have you found that when you get a joke when you understand a joke in a foreign language you laugh doubly because you are just so happy that you've got the joke especially if it's a language that you haven't been learning very long do you find that? Maybe. I've never thought about it that way. I mean, for me, Russian, like I watch, I watch, you know, the, 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 the Soviet classics. Uh, let's be honest, modern cinema. There are a few modern Russian movies that, that I have enjoyed. Uh, um, Stiliagi, uh, do you know that one? It's a, it's a musical yeah. about the, yeah, yeah. In, in the 50s, really nice. But yeah, just a few. I would say like the the the, the comic classics, the Soviet classic uh, comedies, like Brillantave uh, Ruka uh, and things like that. And to me, I love them because I don't know. Um, do, have you watched Louis de Funès comedies? That that type of French cinema from the sixties, seventies. Oh, I know the reference you're making. Um, very similar to, to the sort of feel comedy. to it. Yeah, I, I never watched them, but I I could sort of picture the the, the posters. Yeah, yeah. So for me, though, those those comedies, understanding those jokes in Russian, actually, because I have so little practice with French. Honestly, I I, I live in English. Uh, uh, everybody, people often ask me, "Your name is Antoine. You're Belgian. You must speak French mainly." No, that's not true. I only speak French with my my family, my nuclear family. I mean, like the, the parents, uh, brothers, and. Uh, yeah, those Soviet comedies are, are kind of, I, when I understand the jokes, I always think of them, uh, uh, I, I, it reminds me of a Louis de Funès joke, a Bourville mm -hmm. joke, something like that, something from one of those movies. It's cute. Mm -hmm. there, there are definitely some, some great um, films made these days, uh, amongst a sea of terrible ones, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> Have, have you seen those? I, I have, for the life of me, I have no idea what it's called, but have you seen those ones? It's like, um, you know, the Russian version of Marvel superhero movies. I'm not going to watch that. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't watch the Marvel ones, let alone the Russian version of the Marvel ones. But um, there's like, there was this one where like the, um, the bad guy was like a robot where there was like a spinning Matryoshka with guns on and stuff. I was like, my God, what am I watching? <laughs> um, but there's, if, there's if some... that bad, sometimes it can be, you know, it can be actually fun to watch when it, when it gets that. What did I <laughs> see at one point on? It was just on TV at one point. Like Piranaconda or something like that. You know those 90s uh, American terrible movies where they just... Oh, sort of like, was it like... Um, what, what's oh. the one with the giant squid versus the shark? 
those are the kinds of films that I only watch after 20 minutes past four. Um, anything else? Uh, yeah, I, um, <laughs> I, I tend not to. Um, but a, a great, a genuinely great um, Russian, probably my favorite modern Russian film is uh, What Men Talk About. Have you seen that one? Yes, of course. That's a good film. Really good. There are I loved it. Series now, right? There are like three, four, maybe five of them. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched the first. Was it two I've watched? Because there's one where they they go to. I can't even remember where they go to now. There's some journey where they have to get to some. Is it Amapa? I think maybe to get to a concert. Probably. Something um, like that. Yeah, the, the first the first two, I think, maybe even the first three are very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you catch a lot of stand up, Russian stand up? No, no, actually, I don't. That, that's not a. I know it's a new thing. Like there, 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 there. There is a bit of stand up here in Saint Petersburg, anyways. I don't know about the rest of Russia, but there's definitely a bit of stand up here. There's good stand up scene, from what I've been told. But Wait, the, the stand up scene is exploding in Russia, and it has. It's it's been really, really big for a number of years. Oh yeah, for sure. And like you, you can just watch it on like if you've got like um on, on your TV. You can catch like stand up. There's a, there's this thing called um, I think it's just called chat with um, uh, Ruslan Bielli and uh, Karginov or whatever his name is. I can't remember all the but basically the guys who do Kuji podcast and, and a couple of like the standard like stand up people. There's a uh-huh. Zhensky uh, stand up which is um, really good. Really some like you know top um, female comedians. I don't know why they needed uh, their own show. I think we can just show them all together. But whatever um yeah it's really great and um whenever i'm watching like modern russian stand-up i can't help thinking like you know as opposed to like kvn or you know more like traditional how it was like soviet yeah style comedy because they, they you know the the, the, the traditional kvn style where there, there was a lot of like you know mimes and uh, yes. a lot of um, sort of, you know, setups and um, skits, you know, a skit as opposed to like a, just a stand-up routine. And I watch it and I think to myself, huh, this just looks like an English stand-up thing. But then I'm, I'm full of shit because all of our English stand-up is, is a plagiarism of American stand-up. And that because America's really where stand-up as a genre was born because before, before everyone would go up on stage and would just do like one-liners. Right. There was no such thing as observational comedy with a get up and they would tell like, oh, you know, my my wife is so stupid that blah, blah, blah. Those jokes, like kind of like, you know, old sexist <laughs> jokes, which which are fine. But um, it wasn't right until how it started. Yeah, sure. But then it wasn't until Lenny Bruce got on stage in the 1960s and went on stage and said, uh, you know, my wife divorced me today and then went into his whole stand up routine. If you watch Lenny Bruce now, it's kind of dated. And um, it's like, you know, it's like any old comedy. You watch it and it's, you know, it's, it's hard to watch sometimes. It puts up a lot of resistance. But it's, it was, it was a, a whole new direction that stand-up comedy mm-hmm. went in when people would go on stage and would start d- delivering a monologue. And what I like about stand-up comedy is that you're watching a performance of someone thinking on your behalf. Yes. They, they are sort of, you know, fleshing out these thoughts and a lot of the time, if, if, the, if the comedian, this is why dark comedy is so important, if the comedian can precisely hit a thought 
which you didn't even know you were going to have. And if they hit it just right, and, and you, were, you would have been embarrassed to admit that you'd thought that before. George Carlin was very good at that. Yeah, He had this whole routine about watching the news. And he said, um, I watch the news for one reason and one reason only, entertainment. If everything's fine in the world, boring. I want to see nuclear explosions. I want to see a meltdown. I want to see civil war. I want to see flooding, a volcano. I want panic. I want people under pressure. That's entertainment. And you, most people would never admit to having those emotions. When you, when you see like 9-11 or, or, or a war or something terrible on the news, you get a small feeling of excitement. You're like, oh, this is news. This is exciting. And, and it, it's a very private emotion which i barely even perceived in myself but george carlin was up there on the stage shouting it loud um really really inspirational do you like carlin i love yeah yeah carlin's really really good i was gonna while you were talking uh, my first thought was yeah george carlin um observational there there's there's a lot, and you're right that it's different. Uh, uh, the, the British stand-up, uh, uh, American stand-up is very different. Americans are, well, it's gonna sound like criticism. I was gonna say Americans are less subtle, uh, but I do find that's generally true. Um, but it's also quality. It also means they're more directly honest, uh, I would say. So American stand-up, you have a lot of people like George Carlin, that they're just up there and just address you directly as an equal, as a person. Whereas probably British stuff is more theatrical. Uh, it's more European. There, there's more history probably. The, the actors are more trained, I think. When I think of, you know, when you think of, uh, most people think of Britain, they'll think, you know, Mr. Bean and then Rowan Atkinson. And you think it's that simple and it's, it's, it might be a little stupid in a way, but the guy is, the guy's huge. Uh, uh, an interview, he's, the guy's super smart uh, uh, and very professionally trained. And you'll never have Rowan Atkinson just doing a stand-up American style like George Collin just comes up on stage and it doesn't even look like he prepared anything. Of course he did. <laughs> We know he did. George Carlin. Yeah. George Carlin was very unique among stand-ups. He, he didn't just write bullet points. He wrote every, word for word. He knew exactly what he was going to say. But it, it was crazy. So, like when he's in performance, he's, you have the impression that it's a really just, just a guy who's up mm. on stage just spilling his guts out. Whereas with Rowan Atkinson, thinking of his sketches, um, it's, it, everything is staged. It's, mm -hmm. you're at the theater. With American uh, stand-up, it doesn't feel like the theater as well. Like more recent ones, like what, uh, Louis C.K., for example. Mm -hmm. Same thing, Louis C.K., when he's at a stand-up, you just feel like it's just Louis C.K. is there and he's just talking to you as a friend. Uh, I'm a big fan of Seinfeld, uh, the TV show and the guy. Uh, He's got that, some that's a great example of the difference between the British and American comedy, like Seinfeld, Friends, um, that kind of thing. Is, um, so for me, the, the comparison between British and American co um, coffee, I was going to say, comedy <laughs> is, is best defined by The Office. So yes. as you know, the, the original version of The Office made by Ricky Gervais is, the, is a British show. Um, and it got made, there, there was a French version, I think, as well, Le, Le Job, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, there, and there's, then there's the, the American version, of course, uh, with Steve Carell. Um, and for me, the American one is just unwatchable. It's really? just, it's just I, I, I can't stand it. It's, it, it's, it's so American. And a lot of people will, will know what I'm saying when, will know what I'm saying when, um, when I say it's too American. Well, not that it's too American. It's just, it, it just misses the mark for me. It's, it's, just, it's, a bit, it's a bit silly. It's a bit, you know, incredulous. Um, it doesn't suspend my disbelief. But something like The, the Office oh. is one of the most exemplary um, specimens of British comedy. Oh, it is, yeah. That is one of the, the, it's so dry and sarcastic and desperate and gray and dreary. And they completely missed that in the American version. I, I, I will admit, I will admit, like, I, I will love American original comedy when they do their own stuff. But, but when usually when they buy something foreign to, 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 to reshoot it in American way, it's terrible. It's horrible. I don't know if you know that uh, um, Swedish-Danish uh, crime show, The, the Bridge. Oh my bridge. god! Yeah, we we love them in the UK. We import them. Yeah, <laughs> just just switch on the American the bridge. Oh really? Oh, <laughs> the Brooklyn Bridge. It is a despicable <laughs> TV show. It is everything that is wrong about America right up there. I will admit that I really do like the American Office. Uh, I find they com they completely changed it. I agree. Uh, um, but, that, but that's they a true adaptation, job. right? That, that they they changed it they where where it needed it. to be changed. It yeah. needs to be. Something American needs to be lovable in a way. I mean, they are, they are the best capitalists. They are selling us something with a TV <laughs> show. And the, the Ricky Gervais original The Office is not meant to go on for like nine, ten seasons, 24 episodes a season. Mm -hmm. it, it, Ricky Gervais has a, a message to deliver. And he's going to do it, uh, I don't remember, I think it's just two or three seasons and like seven, ten episodes a season, the UK it was two, two seasons and I think two specials. So, you don't, he doesn't need you to fall in love with the characters. Mm. An American, uh, the American office was a money-making machine, of course. Above all, there are people that bought the rights to it and their goal was to drag it out. So they needed to do this. They needed to have the same setting, but with lovable characters. Mm. And I did. I I, I love them. I, I do admit I love the UK, the both versions. But yeah, they're they're two different TV shows. Very yeah, different. For sure. For sure. There was. Um, it's very interesting looking at the difference between the British and the American comedic hero. And Stephen Fry had a good line about this. That if you look at. Um, Look at the American comedic hero. It's Steve Carell, it's Ben Stiller, it's Seinfeld, it's Joey from Friends. It, you know, um, it's, it's, the, it's the quick-witted go-getter. The, it's the person who's always got a snappy comeback and the person who, with his or her innate skill or excellence, is going to, you know, win the day and get the girl and show his boss who's, you know, who's who. And, you know... And is is generally, a, a, you know, quite quite a positive, optimistic kind of person. I think that just that sums up the 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 American approach to well to to a lot of things, but certainly comedy. And if you look at the British comedic hero, the British comedic hero is not only the underdog; it's 
um, you know, to use Stephen Fry's phrase, the person on whom life has shat from an incredible height. It's it's um, David Brent, it's Alan Partridge, it's uh, Blackadder, it's Basil Fawlty, it's um, you know Mark and Mark and uh, Jeremy from Peep Show. It's it's Mr. Bean to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the unfortunate. It's um, the it's person who, the despite their despite their their charms and their wits, um, has done nothing with their life and who is um, the sort of you know living a quiet life of desperation um and that provides a lot of you know fertile ground for sarcasm and and bitter jokes and understatement which is yeah which is everything about british comedy so if anyone wants to see like typical what for me sums up british comedy it's definitely the office the british the original version of the office and peep show is definitely a good example Mm -hmm. of british comedy are you a fan um, I, I, I haven't watched much of it. Uh, uh, I do like it. I, I was going to bring up something. Um, so I, I fully agree with you on, on that difference between American and British kind of humor. And it is, I would, I would add, it's something that really makes English humor also very, very special in the world, not just uh, uh, comparing to America. I mean, in America, there is a cult of the individual. As you said, like even the comic hero is a hero. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case in, in English comedy. As you said, life shat on this person. Uh, uh, it's a very flawed human being. Um, I, I, you made me think earlier on of uh, that show, Allo, Allo. Do you know? <laughs> Oh, Oh, because your joke was set in the Second World War. That was it. I think uh, uh, that ability of the Brits to make fun of themselves in the Second World War is something unparalleled. Mm. Uh, um, The the French don't make fun of themselves about the Second World War. Like the, The French cling to the idea of we resisted, okay? We did not collaborate. And, and you can't really joke about it. England just makes fun of, of, and you mentioned Blackadder as well. I think Blackadder is one of the greatest comic shows ever. Uh, it might not be the first TV show that I'm, if I'm looking for a laugh, might not be the first one I'll think of and I'll sure. switch on for an easy laugh, but it's brilliant. Um, Allo Allo is awesome because you've got all these different characters, these different stereotypes. So Allo Allo is set in France during the Second World War, you have this French innkeeper. What is it? An inn or a restaurant? Some, a cafe. Yeah, a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The cafe of the village. And he's struggling. He doesn't care about the outcome of the war at all. He just wants to make sure that his cafe survives. And he has the German officers dining in his cafe, who the German officers don't really care about the nazi uh, uh agenda they're just there they're trying to make an easy buck from like little paintings they stole or things like that mm-hmm. you have the, the the french collaborators the french resistance uh, uh at one point you have english uh paratroopers something like that they, they're, they're trying to get back to england mm-hmm. if all these different factions of the war at one point or another in his cafe and the poor dude is struggling to just keep his cafe afloat. I love it. Yeah, I, I love, I love it. it. But yeah, yeah, Peep Show is also a great, great show. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and being able to like so Blackadder, if if anyone doesn't know it, is each series is from a different period of history. So um, Blackadder goes forth is the fourth series. That's about the First World War. Um, Blackadder the third is um, in the 18th century um, when George the third is the king, and it takes place um, in in the the sort of palace of um, George the fourth who was uh, George III's son. Um, and uh, then the one before that is um, about Elizabeth I, which is mm-hmm. Tudors and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, and but being able to take something like the First World War, which is a very sensitive topic, um, and being able to make a comedy out of that, I mean, I think they did a great job um, negotiating that minefield, quite quite literally, in one of the episodes. Yeah. Um, but this is what I was going, this is what I was saying earlier that dark comedy, especially, is super duper important. Um, being able to laugh about something that you didn't even know you could laugh about, um, and being able to make light of it. Um, and I would say that that's a, a really characteristic aspect of British comedy in particular. It's very dark, very, very dark. It's compared to Russian comedy, forget about it. It is super duper dark. Um, a lot of um, very blue jokes, as uh, as the French would say. Don't you think? Yeah, agreed. Um, Black Adder, as you said, the First World War. I mean, I, it's my favorite season. I love Black Adder yes. goes forth. It's my favorite season, and yet at times they really they they deal with serious things. Uh, the, the, this whole idea. I remember Stephen Fry plays one of the a general. I don't general Melchard. General Melchard, and um, every time he's cooking up some new kind of attack. I, I was going to say strategy. It's not a strategy. He's just mm-hmm. like every every attack is basically like okay, just send the guys forward. They're going to be butchered. Well, we got to try, right? It's like what the hell but that's exactly what was going on actually on both sides mm-hmm. uh, it's tragic and it needed to be said and i think comedy is a great great vector for that it's yeah the um the, the tactics were were certainly questionable and there's this part in the um which i love where there's um, a woman who disguises herself as a, ma- a male soldier and smuggles herself into the trenches because she wants to see how war is fought and um, when she's finally discovered, she says to Blackadder, said, please let me stay. I just want to see how war is fought so badly. And his response is, well, you've come to the right place. War hasn't been fought this badly since, and then makes some sort of reference. And it's such a, I, I love it. It's just such a, such a, a small moment, but a clever, but by the way, um, the puns, le, le calembour, <laughs> the, uh, yes, uh, yes uh, plays on words. That's, um, certainly Genius. a lot of people a lot of people denigrate puns and, and cast them aside and say that they're sort of uh, you know cheap um jokes Ouch. i disagree i love a pun and today we're, we're taping this on uh sunday which uh, as anyone who follows my page knows is pun day it's technical tuesday sunday is pun day and uh, sunday's Thursday. pun day sunday's pun day yeah so um on every every sunday on my page i always put it so today it was um it's a picture of a bear sitting at a camp, uh, camp table, and it said, I made this with my bare hands. 
Long. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's different puns every every week. Um, but I first of all, before I um, corrupt your opinion with mine, um, what what do you think about puns? Are you are you a fan? Do you like them? Yeah, yeah, I really enjoy a, a good pun once in a while. Um, I don't have I don't have a pun day, unfortunately. Uh, uh, I worked once. I had I once had a colleague in a, in a team, a teacher from England, who also was yeah a big fan of puns, and he was subscribed to some website. So like every day at the office, we knew he was going to arrive in the morning, and he was going to have the pun of the day, and. Uh, it really became, you know, one one of the excitements of the day. Just you went to the office knowing, yes, yes. <laughs> one day might be a little too day. much, but um, yeah, I I love that. and this is another example of what I was saying um, earlier about when you get a joke in a foreign language, it's such um, it's such a nice feeling, um, I, and um, Russian social media is flooded with these kinds of puns. The Russians love puns, like. Um, these have you seen these memes when it's like um i don't know how to describe it it's like almost like a fake opposites meme so for example you've got a picture of a lion right uh -huh. and it says lev and then there's a picture below it of the same lion but it's flipped 180 degrees and it says brav <laughs> lev brav and that's the joke i love it i love <laughs> things like that and there's a picture i don't know if you know there's this type of fish called um sudak yeah you know that so um, I don't know what it is in English, but it's some like river fish. So there's a picture of this fish. Sudak, tudak. <laughs> I love it. Tudak, there's, there's no such fish. It's just um, it's just a pun. Um, and there's all sorts of like things like you know, amplitude, amplitude, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I love it. There, there are good puns like that. Good memes that can easily make a good warmer for a, for a, for a lesson. That's it. You, you can find someone on various topics and yeah, I, I, I enjoy a good pun, a good meme like that for sure. Mm -hmm. Because it, it's um, puns, if, if stand-up and comedy shows and stuff like that, that, that's prose. Puns are like poetry. It's, it's language as a unique spectacle in its own right. It's, it's language for language's sake. Um, and when, when you can... Um, and and it's I would argue maybe a joke in a very pure form because what what actually is a joke? What makes a joke work? A joke is essentially two conflicting stories, two conflicting narratives. You have one story, right, that you think is the true story, um, and then suddenly I come in with the punchline, which is another story, and then humor results when you realize, oh, this whole time I was wrong about the story I was telling myself in my head. That's how a joke works. And a pun, I would argue, is the purest, purest form of that. Right? Yeah, no, it makes sense like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, in order to conclude, um, what recommendations should we already? give to our, our dear... Already? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, hang on. We, we, how long have we been... No, pretty much, yeah. It's, it's what you're... I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Um, so I, I mean, from my end, I would recommend certainly Blackadder. Yes. you would agree. Um, what level, show... though? I, I wouldn't recommend it. You see, that's where it's tricky, recommending things to watch. I, I don't know, Blackadder. I, I, would be, I, would be, I would be careful with Blackadder because I love Blackadder so much. And I know that if 
if you don't if you don't get it you're going to miss out on it so i i it's not one of the first things i recommend to students because i know it's not the easiest language I, come on rowan atkinson delivers some epic lines but the language he uses is not simple everyday language oh yeah yeah that's for sure so i'll um, definitely keep that for b2 plus c1 c2 level students yeah um i would say um for the guys who did peep show who the actors are called david uh, mitchell and robert webb they have their own comedy show their own comedy sketch show and it's called uh, that Mitchell and Webb look. If you just type in Mitchell and Webb, uh -huh. Mitchell spelled the usual way and Webb spelled W W E B B. Um, they've got some great, and because it's a comedy show, it's so varied and there will be sketches in there, which you won't get because the language is too complicated or because it's a very specific British cultural reference, which just, you know, um, which you won't get. But because it's so varied, it goes from one sketch to another sketch to another sketch. There's always, you know, if you don't get one, you can just move on to the next one. Because sometimes if you're watching a film or something and you miss part of the narrative, yeah, then, it, you know, it's a domino effect and you can't understand the rest of the film. But it, it, if you're watching, um, you know, a, a sketch show, there's no continuity. So you, you can not understand something and then understand the next thing and, and still, um, you know, watch the whole series. So um, that might be a good place to start. For sure, I'll check that one out. Actually, I, I didn't. I didn't know that one. You've never seen it? Oh, you're in for a treat. Those, yeah, yeah. Those are, those are talented guys. I'll send I, you I a often, for something like that. I often recommend a bit of Fry and Laurie. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. Blackadder. Like I'll keep things like okay. I got um, my, my my top Brit shows would be uh, Blackadder definitely. But th those are the ones I keep for for later on it's not my first recommendation black adder the thick of it the thick oh, of it is brilliant but again i mean they speak so quickly it's 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 pure british comedy aimed at british viewers and it's not like they're they're you know very very commercial producers behind it trying to make a, a huge yeah it's armando inucci that one yeah. Armando Inucci also did The Death of Stalin, if you've... Um, if you've Ooh! Mm -hmm. Good film. Good film. For sure. Mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I'm gonna be, I might surprise you with this one, but there's a TV show that I absolutely love. Again, English humor. And I recommend that faster to, 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 to students. Uh, keeping up with appearances. <laughs> what is this, 1976? Keeping up appearances. Yeah. That about no. Hyacinth Bouquet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know why? Because it is so British in in um, in the way that she's this. You know, I, I had a great English friend who who summarized being British uh, in this way, and I think he was quoting someone. He said, "Being being English is basically being embarrassed all the time about everything." <laughs> and Hyacinth Bouquet just that's exactly what her show is about yeah. she is middle class but she aspires to be upper class with a lower uh, with a lower class family she's achieved some kind of middle class right I mean uh, uh, her two younger sisters are clearly lower class one is married to this like 
football hooligan who doesn't do anything. He just sits in his sofa or his bed and watches, I think, Liverpool. I think he's a Liverpool fan. <laughs> he's Probably. fat and he just watches TV, eats bag of crisps and drinks beer. <laughs> and uh, her other younger sister is a nympho, basically, who'll sleep with any... There's a new guy every episode, basically. <laughs> but she aspires, you know, she's... Her surname's... She's, it's spelt bucket, but no, 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 no. She, okay. she puts a French tone in there and she's always like, no, 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 no. It's pronounced bouquet to sound yeah. But then the, the family from across the street, they, they call themselves the buckets. It's the bouquets and the buckets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we missed um, Faulty Towers off the list. Um, How could we? Th there's an episode of Faulty Towers, which will be very familiar to um, people who are fans of uh, Gorgon. Because uh, um, there, there's a, a play called Brivizor, um, and Faulty Towers did a tribute to Gorgon in in one of their episodes. It's the it's the episode called The Hotel Inspectors. Um, I won't spoil it for anyone, but that's that's a good one. And of course, Monty Python. Where would we yes. be without Monty Python? Of course, Monty Python. Or yeah. I I'd start with the Holy Grail's okay. I think it's overrated. I like the Life of Brian. And uh, the meaning of life. Agreed. Agreed. I love the meaning of life. Uh, we can't. I don't know. Can we or not? But that 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 song that they sing. They, oh. What? Every and sperm we, is sacred. <laughs> Are you going to say? Can we say sperm on the podcast? Yes, we can say sperm on the podcast, Antoine, because it's okay. my podcast, and we'll talk uh, about sperm all we want. It, that song is hilarious. And it, it I, exactly opens the movie. It's brilliant. It's it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I love the um, I love the intro song the most. It's it's such a good song. Why are we here? Da, 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 da. That one. And and it's um and he again is there's, there's a lot of French references today. Um, <laughs> but he 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 has like a French accent when he sings the song, and he says, um, you know, I I, oh, I can't remember how it goes now, but. Um, yeah, but uh, we're going to sort it all out. And he goes between French and English. It's quite funny. Um, uh -huh. But yeah, the, the meaning of life, that's definitely a good one worth watching. Um, yeah. it, again, it's a bunch of sketches. What is great about that movie is you don't need to watch it as a whole. Um, you uh, should. Well, arguable. The Life of Brian is not an example of that. But um, Flying Circus is, yeah, that's separate spe sketches. Yeah. But meaning of life, there, there is, it is quite sketchy, sure, but there, there's a narrative going throughout. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite bit in that is when the, um, when, um, the Spanish Inquisition sketch, do you remember that one? Is when he said people, because we say that in English, we say, if someone's asking you a lot of questions, say, what is this, the Spanish Inquisition? So um, he's, he's getting asked lots of questions. He said, I don't know. I didn't expect the Spanish Inquisition. And then these guys in like <laughs> papal Catholic uniforms, but no one expects the Spanish Inquisition burst through the door. Um, oh, it's brilliant. It is really brilliant. Anyway, we're not doing it justice. So um, go and watch these comedies. Don't think, oh, just watch. So I'll have to put a, a list in the, uh, in the description. Are you going to remember everyone? Well, it good thing I recorded the show. Faulty Towers, Monty Python. We, it, it would have been embarrassing if we had done a, 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 if we'd been jamming on comedy and we hadn't mentioned Faulty Towers, Monty Python. Um, yeah. Well, good thing. Good, good teamwork. <laughs> exactly. All right. I don't think. 
have we forgotten anyone? If you quickly, like, just to, to, to wrap things up. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, we've forgotten loads of people, but um, that there, there, there's such a, a vast library of things to choose from that I think it's just, these are just my personal recommendations. I'm not saying that we they're... Talked um... a, we talked a lot about classics and anything more modern that comes to mind well, coming from Britain. My, okay, well, one last recommendation. Um, there's, there's not... It's not only a type of comedy, it's a whole different format of show or presentation. It's what's called a quiz com. So a quiz show is like, um, you know, like family fortunes or whatever, when you press the, press the buzzer uh -huh. and you answer and say, oh, the answer is, you know, whatever, Moscow. Um, this is, it's a quiz comedy show. So it's all comedians on the show. And it, so the, the one I'm thinking of is called QI. There are different, there are lots of different ones, but QI is, um, certainly has a very special place in my heart in terms of British comedy. Um, so it's like interesting facts and quizzes and, and all sorts of obscure, you know, historical or geographical or, you know, just general knowledge facts with comedy, with special guests. Um, yeah, it's really great. So I definitely recommend QI. I think most Russian people know QI these days. Really? Well, a lot of, maybe not most, no, not most, but a lot of them, a lot of them are aware of it because obviously Stephen Fry is so famous in Russia. True. Mm -hmm. All right then. All right, that was, well, brilliant. Well, there we go. Time flies, as they say. Absolutely. Um, we will meet again, I'm sure, for our musical conversation and uh, for this live live stream, um, whenever we're doing that. I don't know. Absolutely. Um, but aside from that, I must bid you adieu and uh, see you next time. Good sir. See you next time, Mike. Thanks for inviting me. Bye now. Bye-bye.